and welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. I'm Sarah. We're a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. So Sarah, mm-hmm. let's talk about the end of the world. Oh, thank God. I'm so ready. You 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 may feel that be, you may feel ready, but it's if it's the end of the world, I don't feel fine. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm very REM about it. How 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 would you like the world to end, ideally? Um, Thanos snap situation. Okay, so just in- instantaneous, instantaneous destruction. Yeah, I don't want to like it. Just just as with death, I don't want to see it coming, and I just want it to be like. Boop, done. Lights out. Okay, that's pretty nice. Yeah. That's the best case scenario, I think. Yeah. Let's talk about all the ways that the world could end. And by that, I mean both, um, you know, total destruction. Mm -hmm. Everything on the planet is obliterated. Mm -hmm. And situations that are apocalyptic, but not necessarily. Like Like the birds will be fine, but humanity... Not so much. Oh, that sounds great, actually. What's that option? Well, let's see. The birds don't deserve it. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know if the birds would 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 uh survive nuclear devastation. Probably not. Possibly, but yeah, probably not. Uh, a rogue asteroid smashing into Earth would probably be quite destructive to everyone. Yeah, I feel like that's a bad one. It's not a good one. Let's yeah. not go that for that one. How about a super volcano? Birds could be okay in that situation. Maybe, unless unless the atmosphere is full of ash. Mm. That would that wouldn't be good. Let's, let's not. Dang. Let's not. Oh, right. uh, what about the a big earthquake? Yeah, the birds could just fly in the air. Yeah. Not even think. Not even worry about it. Yeah. Plus, it wouldn't affect the entire world. Right. Or my favorite is uh, we could be sniped across the galaxy by a quasar burst. Billions yeah. of light years away, and we'd never see it coming. We'd just instantly be bloop, mm-hmm. vaporized. I'm going to go uh, grab a lorazepam right quick, um, and uh, and then we can get right back to this. Does this not make you anxious at all? Just, <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> it does, actually. Whew. It does. I, I don't like to think about it, but the... <laughs> Says the man who brought it up. Yeah, I don't like to talk about it. On this episode, we're talking about it. <laughs> what the world? But you know, it's it's just one of those things that's a reality. Yeah, uh, things happen, and things can happen. Well, you know, those are all great fun to talk about. I'm having the time of my life. But I want to talk about another type of catastrophic event that wouldn't destroy our world, but it could take us back to the 1800s. As far as technology goes. Oh, I was going to say Republicans, but oh, technology. Yeah. Civil War 2.0. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. Women's rights. (laughs) Gay rights. Civil rights. Well, it's all to be, it's all yet to be seen. (laughs) Uh Because what we're going to talk about was it's an event that isn't all that rare either, actually. Oh. In fact, it has already happened. Uh, Okay. So on the morning of September 1st, 1859, amateur astronomer Richard, uh, sorry, th- th- our dog is eating in the background. <laughs> it's so inappropriate. I know, I know you can all hear it. <laughs> but look, there, there, there's just nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Say hi to Max, everybody. Yeah. Okay. 
So he's going to be chomping, but we're going to keep pushing forward. Oh, my God. So amateur astronomer Richard Carrington was starting his day as he normally did by going into his private observatory to observe the sun. This Which is, still blows my mind. I know we <laughs> talked about this in the uh, the Vulcan episode, but people can yeah. really just look at the sun and be cool. Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah, we, that was episode 14 uh, when an uh, amateur doctor named Edmund Lescarbeau was also watching the sun. Yeah. And he was also uh, cataloging sunspots when he thought he saw the planet Vulcan. Right. And interestingly... Les Carbo's sighting was earlier this very same year. Oh, wow. Okay. I, <laughs> I didn't mean to make that uh, segue, but here we go. No, it's great because I did too. And I looked back at my notes and was like, wow, same year. <laughs> That's so That's, funny. That is pretty crazy. Well, on this morning, uh, Carrington was sketching a cluster of dark spots that he observed on the sun. Now, sunspots are a common phenomenon on the sun on the surface of the sun, and they're an area of increased um, magnetic pressure, which turns, which in turn draws gas from inside the sun into the surface. And solar flares and uh, coronal mass ejections are most common around sunspots. So the morning that uh, Carrington was sketching these spots and observing these spots and everything, it was around 11 o'clock in the morning, um, he suddenly saw two flashes two bright fireballs burst out of the sun and then they vanished within a few minutes. But he didn't realize at the time that these massive solar flares from the sun were on a straight path towards Earth. Oh my. Mm-hmm. Now that evening, the Earth experienced an intense geomagnetic storm. At around 1 a.m., the night turned to day. Oh, Aurora Borealis, which is the magnificent green light that's seen in the Arctic and Antarctic, it's caused by an interaction between the Earth's magnetosphere and the sun's solar winds. Oh, that's neat. I didn't know that. And it was, usually it's seen, you know, very far north, you know, in Canada, uh, maybe, maybe in, the United, in the United States in some places if the solar activity is high enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this time, it was seen as far south as Mexico. Oh, my, my. Eyewitnesses on Sullivan's Island in South Carolina said the sky had turned a blood red color <gasps> and the entire island was fully illuminated. Oh, my God. At 1 a.m. That's horrifying. Many across North America and the Caribbean thought their cities may be on fire. Yeah. Because of the light. Oh, my. Across the country, workers were waking up, preparing their breakfast until they realized... It wasn't morning. It was 1 a.m. Oh, God. And it was so bright that people could actually read their paper by it. Uh. But the lights were not the only... So, so the lights were not only in North America. They were also visible in Europe and even Australia. Wow. So the bright auroras were not the only thing that the geomagnetic storm affected on Earth. Communication of 1859 was rudimentary compared to now, of course. But they did have an important technology to transmit messages over a vast distance. Oh, yeah. That was the telegraph. Oh, yeah. Telegraph lines across North America went down due to the sudden electric current (gasps) in the atmosphere, causing power surges that destroyed infrastructure. Holy crap. In some cases, fires broke out due to these power surges, and telegraph operators were shocked by their equipment. Oh, yikes. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but the charged atmosphere also had a strange side effect. Two operators in Boston and Portland on the night of September 2nd were able to uh, disconnect their equipment from their batteries and still able to transmit signals to one another. Whoa. Bizarre, right? Yeah. Really bizarre. In 1859, scientists did not understand what caused auroras, but the Carrington event helped us to make a connection between the auroras and Earth's magnetism. Dang. And since then, we've learned the connection between emissions of plasma and magnetic fields from the sun and the northern lights and, and the connection between all these things. And we've also learned how our sun works, such as its solar cycle. Because our sun goes through cycles of low and high activity. And when it's more active, it sees more sunspots and thus more solar flares. When a significant solar flare occurs, it can usually take a few days to reach Earth. So, um, Mark Rober on YouTube, he does a lot of fun and extravagant videos. Okay. He did a great video contextualizing the distance between the planets and our solar system by scaling everything down and putting them on a football field. Oh, okay. So if the sun was represented by a soccer ball, the Earth would be represented by the head of a pin. Oh, my. So much, much smaller. Yeah. And it would be at a distance of 26 yards away from the sun. Oh, my. That means if the sun is emitting the CMEs in a 360-degree range, Mm -hmm. you know, out from itself, it would have to nail our pinhead planet from 78 feet away. Boy, we really do have a pinhead planet, though. Can I just say? That's a great joke. <laughs> Thank you. It's a great joke. I can tell by the way you did not laugh at all. You know, the best jokes you don't laugh at, you just appreciate. In silence. I'm so mad at you. <laughs> so... It's a very, very low chance of, of it happening. Yeah. But given enough time, it, it's going to happen. That's just probability. Mm-hmm. It happened in 1859, and it has happened several times since then, though less intense. In May of 1950, or sorry, May of 1921, a three-day-long geomagnetic storm struck and caused quite a bit of damage. The telegraph exchange in Sweden caught fire along with another in Brewster, New York. However, the one in New York, uh, the fire spread quick and engulfed the entire central New England railroad station. Whoa. And thus the storm became known as the New York Railroad Superstorm. Dang. More recently in March of 1890, sorry, 1989, a geomagnetic storm took place that resulted in another very strong aurora that could be seen as far south as Florida. Gee whiz. So very similar to the Carrington event. And some satellites were inoperable for hours, and the space shuttle Discovery, which was in space at the time, uh, also experienced some sensor malfunctions. Oh, God, that must have been stressful. Yeah. But most importantly, Quebec's power grid went down for nine hours. Oh, man. This event was a bit of a wake-up call to the world that a geomagnetic storm could be a huge problem. So power grids began implementing programs to deal with such an event. And in 1996, the Solar and Heliosphere Observatory spacecraft was launched with the purpose of observing the sun and monitoring its activity for potentially dangerous geomagnetic storms. Oh, my, my. 
It was actually planned as a two-year mission, but guess what? It's still operating today. Oh, whoa. Yeah. That's a lot longer than two years. It's funny how that works out. Either these things go up there and kind of burn up and, and totally fail. Yeah. Or they go up there and they just last forever. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Even more recently in the wonderful year of 2012, which we thought was going to be the end of the world. Oh, yeah. You remember. Yeah, that was a disappointment. <laughs> it was a disappointment, <laughs> but it almost wasn't. Oh. A much more massive geomagnetic storm st- struck Earth's orbit. However, Earth was not in that exact spot when it hit. We had passed by only one week earlier. <gasps> but had it hit, here's what may have happened. Uh-oh. First, x-rays and radiation would strike the Earth at light speed, ionizing the upper layers of the atmosphere, and this would affect radio waves and GPS navigation. Then a wave of electrons and protons from the solar flare would arrive, frying satellites in orbit. And days later, a cloud of magnetized plasma would finally arrive, and this would cause widespread blackouts, disabling electronics across the world. Um, this would be much worse the farther north that you are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, New England area, uh, upper United States, and anything really connected to that power grid. Yeah. But it would be, you know, it would be especially bad if you needed this electricity, say, in the middle of winter. Yeah. When it's important to, um, you know, stay warm. Yeah. So such a loss of, of power could easily result in a huge humanitarian crisis. Right. Repairs would be slow, taking months or years, at an estimated cost of $2.6 trillion in the U.S. alone. Oh, my God. Since most of our world runs on electronics, including transportation, water pumps, debit cards, etc., it would be a catastrophic disaster. Oh, my God. I mean, just imagine not having power. Something simple as that. Uh-huh. You couldn't access your money. Yeah. You couldn't your water wouldn't work. Yeah. Your you could you could probably drive around your drive around in your vehicles because, you know, this storm probably wouldn't affect smaller um non-grounded uh things. Well, here's something on a personal level. Um the technology that keeps me alive is you know, my my insulin pump has to be plugged in every 3 or 4 days. That's right. And my phone I use for my continuous glucose monitor. For those listening who don't know, I'm a type 1 diabetic. Mm -hmm. So I'm always one of the first to go in an apocalyptic situation. Like, there's no way I'm sticking around. But like this specifically, like, I have to have power to live. Yeah. and, and, And even more so than that. Well, I don't know about more so. But in addition to that, getting your prescriptions. That's always like... The one of the first things I think about watching like The Walking Dead or um, you know, the day after tomorrow, Independence Day, like any sort mm-hmm. of like disaster movie, my first thought is always like people are running the gas stations. My ass is going to the pharmacy. Yeah. Like I have a, a pretty decent stockpile of insulin as it is, but like uh mm no. Yeah. So obviously it would be catastrophic. Yeah. Not just for people who need these things to survive but anyone if you if you need water yeah it's going to be a big problem if you need gas 
If you, if you eat food, <laughs> if you eat food, it's we, probably going to be a huge problem. Yeah. And most of us do. I feel like I've noticed that. Yeah. So even the dog earlier in the episode was eating food. Yes. So there you go. Even Max is not going to do well. He likes to have food to eat. So that storm was thought to be as intense as the Carrington event. But the intensity of these storms vary due to multiple factors. The next one that hits us could be much more minor mm-hmm. as the ones, you know, that just cause you know, stronger aurora are, are less strong. Or it could be stronger. We don't know. And technology is so integrated into our lives that, you know, minor impacts could have stronger ramifications. Like, what if in the future we're all on self-driving cars and GPS goes down? <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. You just don't you just don't know. But all hope is not lost. I'd really hope not. I'd be very upset with you. It is not lost, Sarah. Okay. This is not like an asteroid headed towards us that we're just like, well, nothing you can do. Yeah. It's over. We just send Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck hope for the best. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. With our all of our scientific research, we can predict when a massive storm is heading our way. With this knowledge we could have hours or even longer to prepare. And how we would prepare is by turning off everything. Oh. Shutting down our power, shutting off power stations, uh-huh. turning off, like grounding planes, all this stuff for a short period of time, maybe a couple of days at the most. Doing so would be obviously very detrimental mm-hmm. it would probably result in lives being lost and i mean it would be a huge economic strike too oh yeah but it's not all that different from what happened in 2020 i was thinking that but see that's where i think the problems would come in because that it would be left to the government to decide yes exactly so well, it, we're it, screwed. <laughs> if our leaders are confident enough in science to go through with this, then everything would be okay. If they are not, then things could get bad. Oh, so it'll be 2020 again. But <laughs> bloody but, hell. But as long as at least most hear the warnings and are willing to act, uh-huh. then it could be it would be less worse than it could be. I, I hope that Bill Pullman is in office. Me too. If this happens. Because, you know, today we celebrate our Independence Day. You know, like you, you want a Bill Pullman in yeah. a crisis. Or um, was Morgan Freeman was president in Deep Impact, I think? I don't remember. He was, he was involved somehow in Deep Impact. Morgan Freeman, I feel like, would do a good job. Um, Martin Sheen. Oh, I don't. I can't. I can't talk about the West Wing guys. I love. <laughs> I love President Bartlett so much. Like it's unhealthy how much I love the West Wing. He would take care of it. All of our fi- all of our fictional leaders would do it. Real life leaders, we don't know. Yeah. Well, not now. Selena from Veep. She's not mm. shutting it down. No. So I mean, there's <laughs> there's some that wouldn't. No, but. Uh... But there are ways to avoid the worst case scenario in this case. If there is a uh, um, a super volcano, like if um, if Yellowstone erupted, not much we could do. 
Rip. Yeah. So. <laughs> if you enjoyed this lighthearted episode. Let's stop. Please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on. While you still can. Yeah, while you still can. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram for more content while you still can. <laughs> We're Fantastic H Pod on both. Or shoot us an email while you still can. We are <laughs> fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. And until next week. If there is a next week. We'll feel fine. <laughs>